$2 late fee, you have one new message. Hey, Zach, uh, Dustin, I, I think it beeped. Uh, this is, uh, this is Miss Taylor, and, um, I, you know, okay, look, my mom told me, uh, that you, uh, that you guys are in need of studio space. I, I understand you're you're separate now, whatever, and you guys want to rent my room. But look, it's it's not available. Okay, it took me four years to get that last jerk out. I'm not gonna do it again. I'm just I'm not gonna do it again because it's emotionally really messed up, man. And I'm just, I'm not, okay, so I'll I'll do the show, but just do me a favor. Stop calling my mom. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Before there was IMDb.com. There was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Buddy boy, buddy boy, buddy boy, buddy boy. <laughs> okay, you know you're not supposed to park that on campus. <laughs> well, happy new year to you. Happy new year to you. Good, sir. We made it. Did we? <laughs> I was uh, was thinking about, you know, like... I, you know, I feel like we know that, like, how everybody approaches the new year is, or, or tries to, right, is like a fresh start. And there's been a lot of anger at 2020, you know, like yes. people actually telling 2020 to go fuck itself and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. And then you're like, well, 2020 doesn't, you know, doesn't know what it's doing. It's just, no, it's just a year. It's just a concept. And here we are. We're now in a new year. And we want, you know, I think a lot of people want things like to be. I mean, not not magically different, but in a way, you're kind of like, right? It should be a new energy, a new approach, and I, and I totally get that. But um, likewise, you know, yeah. But when you get right down to it, it's like it's just right. It's just another day, another month. It's a man-made construct. <laughs> Who, whoever created time. I was thinking how cool it is that globally everybody is on the same page as far as like, like it'd be weird if it was just a new year in North America. Yes. But then it was still the old year in, in Europe, for example. Or... Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Something like that. Well, I think, I think the Lunar New Year still confuses people, you know? Right. And so for those people that don't celebrate Lunar New Year, you know, Chinese New Year to, to many, uh, and they're like, wait, didn't we already do that like a couple months ago? What's going on with this thing? You're like, no, 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 that, that one goes by the moon. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's the solstice, solstice. There's the solstice, and the equinox, and then there's everything else. But it is a beautiful thing, though. I agree, and I echo your sentiment that we're all on the same page universally in this idea. Like, okay, whether it's man-made 
whether it's just another day, who cares? But it's an opportunity to start fresh, to have a good attitude, yeah. hopefully. Well, uh, it's, I, I guess I think it's just it's just weird that we can all agree like that it's now 2021, but we can't all agree in science. <laughs> you know, it, it's just like these strange things. Like we all, I, as far as I know, we all believe in gravity. As, like even if you don't believe in gravity, there's still something that keeps us on the Earth. We don't just go floating away, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It still exists. But we believe in gravity, but not everybody believes the Earth is round. <laughs> well, it, it, it does sound, it's, it's funny you say that because, um, well, not funny, but, uh, you know, every night I'm getting Bodie ready for bed and um, giving him a bath, shower, whatever. We're in there, and I, I do this character called Irwin okay. that I used to do as a teacher with my students. And Irwin you is do like this, this bath character called Irwin. I love- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just loves like when I'm brushing his teeth for two minutes, I keep him op- occupied and busy, okay. right? And so Irwin was like my character I would do as a teacher that was this know-it-all, and this kind of segues into the movie a little bit. But he's this know-it-all, but he's really an idiot at the end of the day. Right, but he sounds like he's really smart, and he thinks he's really smart, but really he's a doofus. So I'm singing this song to Bodie, and I'm like, "It's 2021, and the world is changing before us, and cars are being driven by dinosaurs." And he starts laughing. He's like, right. hey, "Dinosaurs!" And I go, "Whoa, whoa, 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 Irwin, Irwin." <laughs> oh, you on. talk to Irwin? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm like totally doing two characters. So, but Irwin's not like a puppet. You're just like you're right. Do, do you no, have like yeah, a puppet no, on just, your hand and you're okay. I'm just talking to him and like I'll okay. change characters, you know, and he'll I see. he's totally yeah. with me. Yeah. I mean like Erwin, Erwin, hold on a second. So there's no dinosaurs aren't driving cars. And then Erwin goes, Well, who says? Um Right. Science. Well, who's science? Uh Yeah, yeah. Science is fact. What's a fact? <laughs> you know, like, you idiot. Who's the real moron? Right. These are the questions. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. How old is Erwin? Um, he's six. <laughs> oh, okay. But he's a six-year-old genius, self-proclaimed. He's a he's whatever age the age I'm talking to the kids with. Does that make sense? Yeah. And let's be honest, folks. For, yeah. for those people that have kids or no kids, there are five-year-olds out there that. Think their shit don't stink, and, yeah. And you know what I'm saying. And they're just they're right about everything because they either have a, a parent or some sort of figure in their life that's like, well, this is the way it is, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do with kids like that is like change the rules of the game. Yeah. As they're, you know, if if they're like, well, no, you're on fire. I shot you with a fireball, and you're like, well, except I'm immune to fire whenever I'm wearing my lucky cape, which I happen to be wearing. And then they're <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Oh. Uh... Okay, okay, and then I'm like, and I shoot it back at you, and now you're on fire. And it's like, no, no, it's not the rules. You can't change um, the rules. Well, it actually reminds me, in a, in a weird roundabout way, it kind of reminds me of the war of nerds, well, cool nerds and real genius. Right. You were you were mentioning um, that Irwin is a genius, and I thought that that was also a very apropos statement. Well, thank you. To this movie. Yeah, the, the uh, movie. I mean, look, guys, we're we're in season two officially, right? Yeah, we're in, in season our, two. This is a big season. This is a really exciting season. I mean, I'm excited. How did we come? How did we come about this being season two? Was it just the year starting new? 
Well, I think uh, it was very spur of the moment uh, prior to uh, our last episode. I think like maybe 20 minutes before. I was like, what do you say we make this the season finale? Like, great. So season two will start next year. Like, sounds good here. Let's do it. Um, but I, I think beyond it being symbolic, it is, it, it does have a new, a new energy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it's, I think it's so perfect. The movie that we chose to start season two with today. Um, it being my number two favorite movie of all time. One of your favorite movies, movies of all time. Um, yep. I know season one, we covered one of your favorite movies of all time in Better Off Dead. And obviously, you know, we have to have some, we don't have to, but we often have a link to a future guest on the show, um, to the movie we're discussing. And in a very chance way, we were able to score what I considered uh, a holy grail guest for our show. Absolutely. Um, someone that I personally was really looking forward to meeting and talking to and interviewing. And I know you were as well. Um, and yeah, I think to open up the year with a movie that I consider to be one of the greatest comedies of all time, personally, certainly for the eighties, mm-hmm. one of the most, uh, respectful and unique ways to look at kids slash teenagers um, in school during the eighties in a way yep. that didn't dumb them down, didn't look at them and, you know, kind of caric- caricaturize them. If mm-hmm. that's a term, yep. not, I just made it up. Um, and also the fact that it was groundbreaking, then it had a female director for the first, you know, and that yeah. wasn't very common. Um, and talking about, you know, the fact that it came out around the same time a few other science related movies came out one of, and then of course one of your favorite movies of all time better off dead came out the same year yeah i mean well this this movie just to piggyback on what you're saying it's like it's it's hands down the smartest science comedy maybe of Certainly. all time you know yeah um a lot of other movies that were coming out that were science related that summer weird science my science project those had a very gross-out tone. They were very much, uh, you know, like teenage debauchery kind yes. of thing. Let's make a lady. Let's, you know, let's do these things. I mean, My Science Project, less so. But still, um, Real Genius had a very uh, intelligent and comedic uh, balance. Um, and uh, for the director, Martha Coolidge, to to use such a a beautifully uh like the like the perfect hand with this with this film. Oh, totally. Um, it's yeah, it's paced fantastically. The tone is is uh very even throughout. There you know, there is a, a very specific turn that happens which we'll talk about, but um but not done but, in a jarring way. No. You know? when we get to that nope. we'll obviously cover nope. it, but not done in a jarring way. Nope. And 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 unique in its opening too, mm-hmm. which was unexpected. I think even for our guest, our future guest. Yes, yes. I mean, and hey, I, let, let's go ahead. Let's let's tell everybody who it is. You know what I mean? Let's break it down. We have coming up in two weeks. Mitch Taylor himself, Gabriel Jarrett, is our interview guest 
on two dollar late fee, <laughs> which is which is amazing. I think I think one of the things that that's important to mention, at least from the perspective of you and I, is I, I feel like when we first met, uh, you know, X years ago, um, one of the things we did connect on was the soundtrack to this movie, and I remember leaving you know, our breakfast and you were like immediately like sending me, you know, I'm falling <laughs> comps at angels. And I was like, Oh man, like, you know, these are songs that I did not have access to, but of course, number one, Chaz loved. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, like this, this, this was a movie that we were always kind of like, well, we know we're going to do it. Yeah. It's just a question of when. And, um, I was kind of holding off too. Yeah. Well, why not? Right. Like, cause you know, like it's at this point, it's not like our our show didn't start off being like movie guest, movie connecting guest, movie connecting guest. It was just like let's talk about a movie, let's talk about a movie. Then, organically, we started to realize okay, like we can do this any number of ways. Like based on who presents themselves to us as a guest, have a follow up movie, or you know sometimes we just we watch a movie knowing that sometime in, in the future a guest will appear um sometimes by magic sometimes you try and contact that guest and you end up with Ed Asner you know these <laughs> the, the, it, it, you never really know um but it's it's all part of that it's all part of the journey um which is part of the fun i think well little did i know when we had our faithful lunch or brunch breakfast at Jinkies in the Valley, yeah, five years ago maybe now, I think at this I sure point. hope Jinkies is still open. I, I sure hope I so, really too. I really do. And for those of you that are not familiar with Jinkies, it's kind of a landmark in the Valley, um, and, and it's it's worth supporting for for many reasons. But, uh, you know, if you live around there, get some takeout from them because— Well, they, they, there's several Jinkies locations. I don't know— yes, there is actually, um, right. —if they're all still open. I think but. the one in Santa Monica is closed now, unfortunately. Okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. I, like that, that fateful day, dude, like, you know, little did we know we'd be starting a podcast. Little did we know we'd be working together in this in this fashion. Yeah. I knew. I, I just I always <laughs> wanted to. I'm like, Dustin's yeah, going to be my life partner, yeah. and we're going to do this project <laughs> together, and it's going to be amazing. But, but you know, I, I had always had on a small list of guests for our show, Gabe Jarrett, because honestly, you know, I know oftentimes people are like, do you want a Christian Slater? Do you want a, uh, you know, Kiefer Sutherland? Like icons of the 80s. I get that. And that's, of course. Yeah, yeah. But we also want to know about these guys that had a huge hit back in the day and their career changed. Um, they decided yeah. to do something different or or Hollywood, you know, took a left turn for them and they were going right. Uh, and then, you know, Gabe for me was always fascinating. I, I, I wanted to know more about him and then reached out to his manager and then his manager hooked me up with uh, hooked us <laughs> up with Ed Asner. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, but I really wanted Gabe Jarrett. All right. and, and I think oh, his uh. manager was even like, you know, oh, will you um, I'll, I'll pass along your info to him. And I thought, OK cool because right. i really and of course ed asner is an icon right but, do you but, want legend ed asner or uh... <laughs> gabriel jared who was in karate kid three for a for a cup yep. of coffee uh yep. but yeah and and we'll talk obviously more about that as 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 the time gets closer to his interview um but he's but him being he's really the the lead in this film outside of val kilmer 
Um, it's two leads. It's two stories. It's two journeys of these two main guys, one on the twilight of his college career and one on the sunrise of his college career. And the shenanigans that take place in between all of that and the, and the quirky characters. And I, you know, you and I watched it with our respective partners um, not that long ago to kind of refresh and get a sense of whether, yep. it, you know, I, I honestly, I watch it at least once a year. And coincidentally enough, I think around the same time this last year, I was watching it. Um, it might've been actually New Year's Eve. And I dare I say it holds up T to B top to bottom. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think you're, you're daring, you know, in the risky sense, because I 100% agree. Um, it's, um, it's a phenomenal movie. I would watch it a thousand times more than wonder woman 84, which I <laughs> oh, regret man. watching. And, um, you know, I, I maybe we can just take a quick digression. You know, for those that like Wonder Woman eighty four, I appreciate uh, that, but you're wrong, um, yeah. and <laughs> you should not. Um, that movie really hurt my heart. Uh, just as far as movies that you know you you think are gonna come. Back, like like Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman. I didn't like that one either, but people did, and I understood the point, and I understood like they, yeah. you know it was groundbreaking because you know whatever it's Wonder Woman, and um, but more to the point for our show here, the the title of the film is Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. It's eighty four, a huge year, an important year. Why was this movie set in that year? It didn't matter. It didn't. It could have been any year. You know. Yeah. There was five minutes, five minutes in a mall, um, that they dressed pretty generically. Yep. You know, um, you, you've got you've got one extreme, right? You've got Stranger Things, which is all about product placement, and you know, look, we're using this from the '80s, we're using that from the '80s, where it's over yep. the top, right? And then you've got Wonder Woman '84, where you know Chris Pine does a silly montage. Trying on '80s outfits, but not very generic '80s outfit. Oh, look! I'm wearing Nikes. Okay, very generic, cool. and not a single '80s song or music cue was played in that entire film at all. And so many opportunities to do it. Oh, for spoilers, there's a scene. There's a party. There's a big party. They could have been playing, you know, um, Depeche. Forget Depeche Mode. Like, you know what I'm saying? Prince. Prince. Madonna. Yeah. Anything. Had the montage. They could have been playing Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Like, do it as cliche as possible, but make it fun. Make it fun. Have fun. Don't spend 20 minutes in an airplane looking at fireworks and talking about how beautiful it is. While the world is ending. Continue. Yes. And then letting Wonder Woman, spoiler alert, Wonder Woman fly at the end. Yep. And rehashing that. Yeah. I, yeah, you know. I, I, do, I don't like intentionally just shitting all over everything, but it's like this movie just did a, a disservice to movies. And um, to be clear, I'm still talking about Wonder Woman 84. In case you're just joining us, not talking about Real Genius. Well, but, but this is important. This is important. 84. Especially for our show, because that movie is, is set in the 80s, allegedly. Uh, and there's been other movies 
in in recent years that have been set in the 80s hot tub time machine for one Mm -hmm. which i think kind of actually falls in the same category of like not really pulling the trigger on the 80s it doesn't feel like an 80s film it doesn't feel um take me home tonight you know great title great concept Mm -hmm. not a very good movie right better than wonder woman 84 though i will say um but this idea of like you know I always look at it, whoever created this universe or this film didn't either, A, have any identification with the 80s, or B, any love for the 80s, because you don't see it on screen. That's right. And you do. And I will say, you know, Stranger Things, whether you like it or not, there's a clear love of the 80s, at least in the first season. A love of iconic movies, you know? I don't care if people were like, oh, they borrowed so much of this. No, 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 no. that means they did their research at least and, 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 and pulled from some really fun sources, you know, Hey, shit, I like stranger things, but, uh, or glow. I think glow was, did a pretty good job mm-hmm. on Netflix of capturing that time. I agree. I agree. I just think there's like just some layup kind of stuff, yeah. you know, that if you're going to set something in 1984, just, just play around with certain things and it and and to me, you know, this is just like DC Marvel Universe aside, whatever. DC just tends to have a lack of humor. Uh, overall, guarantee, Abs- uh, totally. You know, agree. and the writing totally is always kind of haphazard. I feel like it's just thrown together. There, there's just like it, it seems like there's a thousand cooks in the kitchen or something, and everyone's trying to weigh in, but nobody. You know, you know, it's it's weird to me because I know that one of the guys that that did write it like is responsible for like the DC world and comics yeah. and you're just like this is like inexcusable um and i'm not like some wonder woman super fan i'm not like a dc super fan i'm just a fan of like story and having fun and like smiling during movies especially you know superhero movies like you want to you want to at least be like wow that was cool and i didn't find anything cool about it at all it seemed like it was two and a half hours of uh pain and suffering. yeah yeah i feel like um uh, you know i I personally think she's amazing. Um, she is. I was going to say Kristen's amazing too. I was going to say Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig is 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 amazing, but I feel like she was so underutilized. I think in the first like twenty minutes yeah. of that movie that she appeared, she was great, and then yeah. when she shifted into this superhero character, and then the guy I love the dude that plays uh, the Mandalorian. Felt like he was. It just didn't work for me. Chris no, Pine. He, I will say, I, I, I agree. I think Chris Pine's a good actor, but I just can't get over the fact that he's got highlights and he's from the nineteen forties. He has highlights. We're supposed to care that he's like amazed by a fanny pack, and you know, like the whole thing is just so. And he thinks the trash can's a piece of art. Come on, stupid. You know, yeah, he's like in the body of another guy for some reason. Even though like her wish could just be like to bring him back, couldn't he have literally come back like as himself? Why do he have to be in the body of some other guy who has like now clearly been fired because he's because Chris Pine is in his body for like X amount of days and like. Um, and what know, an just... opportunity to pay an homage to one of the greatest. 80s body swapping movies of all time like Father Like Son. <laughs> you could, yeah. I mean, even using 80s devices, 80s body switching movie devices. Um, yeah. Make it kind of like that. open up his pants and go, whoa. I just it, upgraded your one. It, it makes, it, it may, yeah. Seriously, though. But like, there's any, like, you, you know, just a bunch of writers in a room because you'd be like, what's the funny thing that can happen? You know, like, it just seemed like nobody. Did that. And I knew the movie was in trouble, speaking of Kristen Wiig, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, but the movie was in trouble when 
Kristen Wiig like shows up to work and her boss, who has just hired her the week before, is says to Wonder Woman, like, hey, do you know where this Barbara lady is? And Barbara's yeah, like, come I'm on. right here. She's like, oh, we we've met. Come on. Yeah. You yeah. hired me last week. Oh, great. Nice to meet you. No, no, no. Patty Jenkins. Not that's you are you already set the stage in such a stupid, unbelievable fashion. Like you want to you want to set up that Barbara's like an unfor like a very forgettable person, doesn't make a mark. Don't need that. No, don't need that way. I was no. like, hate this movie, hate it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I, <laughs> I, I think I think we watch. I think I watched it either right before or right after we watched Real Genius, and I thought he, here's a perfect example of a movie that's taking a serious issue and creating comedy around it and maintaining yeah. the integrity of its characters and then another movie that uh, is too busy you know showing off how beautiful its lead actor is and she is she's stunning but Gorgeous. you know what like yep. uh fill it fill it with a little bit of story next time please yeah, yeah. if i hire you for a job last week and then you show up and i'm like where's Come zach on. and you're like yeah. oh here i am i'm like oh really yeah, you hired me last week. Even if I didn't remember that, which is so fucking implausible. Even if I didn't remember hiring you last week, I would still pretend like I did. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. You were wearing a different shirt. I didn't, you know. You know what the, the only plausible possibility is, and only because I've experienced it, and I'm sure you have too, not knowing your name. Right. That's the only thing. But knowing the face? Come on. But, Come on. but, but not if I've hired you. Yeah, if you were the one that hired them. Yeah. If I hired you, I'd know your name. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't be asking somebody else, have you seen Zach? Where is he? I need him to look at this rock. Come on. Not oh. when, you're, when you have a crew of what, like 10 people working yeah. in that place? Right. Oh, are you sure? Are you sure you're you? Weird. Anyway, nice meeting you. Gotta go. You'd be like, why did I fucking, what am I, I don't want to work here. Yeah. My boss is a fucking tool. You don't remember my name? Anyway. Anyway, don't see Wonder Woman 84, anybody who's listening. You know what? Or go watch Real Genius. It. Yeah. Um, and I was I was about to say go go watch the Blu-ray of uh go watch the Blu-ray of Real Genius, but it's not available anywhere. Oh, really? And that was and and fortunately, um Martha Coolidge is very active on her social media, at least on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I reached out under the $2 banner and I said, when's this coming out on Blu-ray? Yeah. She goes, well, I hope it's soon. The intention is it's soon. Um, there's, there's, there's talks that there's going to be a release with deleted scenes, which would be fantastic. Mm. Obviously a commentary, which would be great. Yeah. Um, but they haven't located all the scenes yet. And we talk a little bit, to Gabe about that, which was kind of amusing because he's like, well, they, this was a time when people would lose things. So it's not all digital. Yeah. And so hopefully it's coming out uh, because I would love to watch uh, a, a retrospective uh, an yeah. interview with all, you know, obviously we're, we've got our interview with Gabe and hopefully down the road we have uh, an interview with other Notable people in the film, and we can kind of run down the cast. Obviously, the lead actors is uh, you know Val Kilmer and Gabriel Jarrett, and 
William Atherton, who plays a dick in every movie. Not every movie, but, you know, mostly known. Does it real well. He's so, yeah, from As Die far Hard as the and, older man um, dick. And, and yes. do And did we, we did mention him right in our, in our bully episode, I believe. We did. And, that, and that's what, that was the, the catalyst for eventually doing this because we, he was a co-bully with um, Kent, played by Robert Prescott, who I only knew from Bachelor Party at that point. I think one of the things I love about this movie is that it it, it really um, it does does not make fun of of its cast, you know. No. Versus Revenge of the Nerds, um, you know, nobody's a caricature of themselves, and um, and it really does embrace intelligence it does it it, it it to me it's always been the first movie first and maybe only movie where the quote-unquote well i'm not going to call them nerds the geniuses were cool they were all cool yeah you know and, and mitch mitch wasn't cool because he was 15 he was a kid he was you know in the script he's even younger i guess but um yeah but he's 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 definitely at that awkward stage but everyone else is super cool everybody is and they're presented yeah, that mean, way. You know, Kent is not with super his dicky. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. true. That's true. But but he thinks he's cool, and I think he, in yeah. some respects maybe he is at the at the tennis courts with the sweater but, tied around his neck. Ah, <laughs> uh, we always come back to the sweater, right? <laughs> that's all it's I got. Amazing. That's all I got. I got to hold it's on amazing. to it. You know, from my perspective, um, as a kid, you know, first time I saw it. I guess I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little, but I, I just want to give everybody a little synopsis maybe before I launch into this. Yeah, please. But the synopsis is essentially that you've got a 14-year-old whiz kid named Mitch Taylor, who's played by Gabe, Gabriel Jarrett, um, who's just been essentially recruited for this, you know, for simplicity's sake, we'll call it a genius school, which is uh, basically Caltech. Uh, it's based on Caltech here in Pasadena, California. Um, who's been recruited to kind of help out with this project for this professor, Jerry Hathaway, who's played by William Atherton. Um, and he's coming in to help Chris Knight, who is Val Kilmer, um, you know, and, and essentially, you know, Mitch shows up and hijinks ensues. You know, that's the, that's the short of it. He's overwhelmed. He's a baby in college, which is hard enough, but he's also a genius. And, um, and eventually they realize that this laser that they've been working on is a weapon um, for the, the wrong that's they basically created this thing for the for the wrong hands for the for the U.S. military to zap someone from space, essentially. And um, but we and, as an audience knew that from the beginning, which is interesting, too. Well, we, know, we did. We did. And it's you're talking about just as far as how the, the credit sequence yeah, just how Please it's crafted, out. because, you know, the audience knows what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. The audience knows something's, yeah, a, a bit amiss. Um, yeah. What I was going to say, though, is that when I was a kid, I didn't get any of that. Okay. I didn't even really connect with the, you know, I knew they were making a laser, but I didn't even connect with that with that kind of side of the movie, that, that, that final act, where it goes from, like, cool kids comedy to, you know, we got to... We got to stop. We got to stop Hathaway. Um, excuse me, and that and that kind of realization that this guy isn't just like a bad nemesis; he's actually a bad guy. Yes, you know he's not just like the evil 
uh, you know, he's not the, oh, well, he's a, he's a really authoritative teacher. It's like, no, he's, he's just a, a guy who's out, out for money at the end he, of the day. He's beyond selfish in, so. in every aspect. I mean, he's sleeping with, uh, with a government guy's daughter, and, uh, yep. which is a nice little cameo by Valley Girl herself, Deborah Foreman. Uh, which is really interesting when you think about, you know, that Valley Girl 2 was directed by Martha Coolidge and um yep and the connection the connection there. <laughs> it's it's funny that you say that about being a kid and not making that connection because I felt the same way when I was a kid that it was just the hijinks that I loved. Yep. But they weren't like zany hijinks, you know, um and, and smart I'm not, hijinks. Yeah. Smart hijinks. I'm not bashing Revenge of the Nerds at all when I say this because I really enjoy Revenge of the Nerds. I I, I consider yeah. it to be a great uh, comedy. But the difference being this this just felt a lot more playful. And you being a kid when you saw this, m- me being a kid as well. And it's funny that this movie's rated PG thirteen because I feel like why why was Better Off Dead rated PG and this was rated PG thirteen? Mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of mm-hmm. in the in the way are very similar. Right. Maybe maybe Better Off Dead's darker because it's dealing with suicide, you know. But um but right. the playfulness of their hijinks, you know, the the a, a few moments that stand out are creating in that they create the um the ice rank in Smart the dorm, you know, yep. which they legit did um which is super cool or yeah. doing doing the uh, as you know, obviously there's a there's a sexual component, but the tanning uh, invitational in the uh, door, um, amphitheater the theater. Yeah. theater, you know, was still very silly with the giant uh, slide and yeah. pool and all that. Like those moments to me, and then obviously you know Laszlo Hollyfell played by John Grise. Is it Grise or Grise? I always get that mixed up. Well, I always thought it was Grease, but then Gabe actually refers to him as Grice. Yeah, so... So I assume when you know the person, you know, unless you're Wonder Woman's boss or whatever, and you, you know, <laughs> don't, you don't know their, know their name, <laughs> um, I, I would hope that it is, that he is correct when he says John, Jonathan, John Grice. Yeah, okay, so yeah. so John Grice, who plays Laszlo, Laszlo Hollyfeld, uh, who's, you know, kind of allegedly cracked under pressure, and he's living in the... Um, in in the in the bowels of the school, the steam tunnels, right? The steam like, tunnels, yeah. and and as a kid, that had a playful aspect to it. I felt like yeah. very Goonies esque in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as an adult now, and doing obviously research on the movie and finding out like fun facts and whatnot about it, I didn't know that that was actually a real thing at Caltech. Like mm-hmm. people were doing that, right? Living in the and the steam, like building little areas to live down there, or yeah. hang out, or smoke weed, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's nothing cooler from you know, like an from '80s perspective of like a guy living in a closet, and then you open the closet, you're like, but there's no, where to go? Like you know, he's just somewhere in there. So cool, um, so cool. Yeah, and we learn there's this whole inter interworkings, um, down there. And and to your point, I I think I I agree with you about like like Revenge of the Nerds. I love that movie too, but it is it's very black and white. It's very much like you know, boobs and bush and yeah. nerds and jocks 
and, you know, comedy and, you know, and heartbreak, but it's just very like cut and dry. And this and Real Genius, it's it's just like a, it's a smarter, like even as a kid, I know like I'm like, this is a smarter, slower paced movie. So you know that there's like a like a like a witticism of Chris Knight. You know he's like a very likable, like just just cool guy. Um, but the comedy, like everything about it, it's just smarter. You know the jokes are smarter. Like you, it takes you like sometimes it can take you like five or six watchings maybe to really register what the joke is because it's so fast. As opposed to like Revenge of the Nerds has a basketball and some soup. You know, or what yeah. the fuck's a frush? I don't know why we're comparing Revenge of the Nerds, but it's just like, you know, well, it's just a nerdy nerds. I think I think you're nerd. comparing it and I'm comparing it because it's when people talk about like, what's the best nerd or school movie? They say Revenge of the Nerds of the 80s. Hands down. Most right. people do that. Um, I would and I disagree. I think yeah. I think Real Genius is the best teen comedy of the 80s and, and beyond, in my opinion, um, for stuff like that, for Chris Knight being so witty those those lines that go over your head so many times and then you rewatch it and you're like oh my god you know it's a penis stretcher and i found it under h for toy it's like i wish we had a little right. mashup we could play of his yeah movie. i mean let, let's do it I'll, I'll i'll make a mashup and we'll play it right now something strange happened to me this morning was it a dream where you see yourself standing in sort of sun god robes on a pyramid with a thousand naked women screaming and throwing little pickles at you <laughs> no <laughs> Why am I the only person that has that dream? Why is that toy on your head? Because if I wear it anywhere else, it chafes. I'm sorry, it, it's just that I didn't want you guys to think I was stuck in, you know, no fun. All brain, no penis. <laughs> you are Chris Knight, aren't you? I hope so, I'm wearing his underwear. I was here for a second this morning. You didn't straighten up the place, did you? No. Good, because all my filth is in alphabetical order. This, for example, was under H for toy. What is it? It's a penis stretcher. You want to try it? No. But so many smart points, like you said, like it—it it felt smarter. The the cutting the coins of uh, what is that nitrous? Um, oh, it's like liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen cutting it into quarters, yeah. and just like, like subtle things like that, um, stood out. Yeah. And were were unique. I I want to I I want to live in that dorm. That's yeah. a dorm that feels very lived in, very loved, very well researched, and it was. It sounds to me like Brian Grazer, who produced it with, uh, you know, Martha Coolidge. They Which is amazing, it. right? The Brian, you're like Brian Grazer. Brian Grazer, who you know is is an icon as well. Um, Infamously, Ron Howard's producing partner. Yeah, and this was one of his first movies he ever did, if if not the first movie he did, and. It felt so smart, like so well done. It wasn't just a pocket protector and broken glasses with tape in the center and, and a funny laugh. Yep. It, it was like, no, they're listening to Y&T just like we are, you know? Like, And when I say we, I mean the audience is relating. Yep. That's the other thing. You can relate to these quote-unquote nerds because we'll get to the fashion in a second, but uh, they look like us. Yep. You know, they don't, they look like everybody. There's a little bit of every, they're not all, you know, waxed, look like you stuck your head up a horse's ass, waxed hair down flat. You know, uh, Mitch obviously has the worst hairdo on the planet, but let's be honest guys. Like I, I mean, I had a terrible feather do like that back in the day and 
because <laughs> my mom made me. But then I would have, I always wanted to look like Chris because I thought he, he was like the badass on campus. Right. Really? Although you see him now, you're like, where are sideburns? I, 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 yeah. I what's up it's with alarming that? not him not having sideburns. That is the weirdest um, thing that of the movie. Yeah, just from I'm a, not gonna lie. Just from a fashion statement. Um, you know, any other movie, right? Like nine times out of ten, would have probably had a scene where Mitch got a makeover, and yes. somebody made him cool. A la Weird Science. You know, a la. Just right, like like uh, uh, can't buy me love, like just yeah. you know the the nerd needs that that makeover, yeah. And here the nerd doesn't get the makeover. He's just you know he he gains confidence and he gains other things, and he gains a, a lightness and a sense of humor. Um, he gains a like let's say an emotional makeover, a mental makeover, yeah. yep. but you know to not take things so seriously, but. He never gets that, that that fashion makeover, which is very interesting, I just think. Well, and, and oftentimes when they do that fashion makeover, there's, there's uh, you know, a montage or whatever that's going through the whole the motions or yep. recapping. Yep. That, that was another thing that stood out to me. Like just one of the guys. Sorry. There's, the, there's the, yeah. you know, the pivotal. Perfect. You know, Rick's got to get cool. Yeah. And obviously we love just one of the guys, but. But but it and, and and it does and Rick does look suddenly ten times better, and <laughs> and and if there was the scene in Real Genius, and I think Aaron might have pointed this out when they at the tanning invitational, when Mitch with his blown out feathered hair comes out of the water and he looks kind of like a normal cool guy because <laughs> yes, suddenly his hair is like wet and he kind of looks kind of cool i think aaron i could hear her kind of make a comment like yeah she actually did. looks kind of cool you know she looks he looks he looks normal wet and something like that yeah he was he was going through puberty at the time too so maybe he had a yeah. growth spurt and he did turn 15 on set so uh maybe that yeah. had something to do with the two but <laughs> right but I, I was gonna say you know um yeah two things one i i w- obsessed over chris knight's t-shirts through this whole thing yep and I, just on a personal standpoint, I want to give a, a quick plug to um, there's a there's a, a website called uh, founditemclothing.com. It's a terrible name, but they recreate. I did this with uh, talked about this with the Andre Gower interview. They recreate famous 80s tees authentically, and they even have articles on their website how to age T-shirts to make them look a little bit more vintage. Mm-hmm. But they. I mean, they've done everything from uh, the T-shirt that uh, in um, American Flyers that the brother gets, uh-huh. um, you know, after he d- uh, does his running challenge. Um, but Chris, but they've every single one of Chris's T-shirts besides the I Heart Toxic Waste T-shirt that is famous for, on the on the poster, which he wears in the opening of the movie. Um, you know, like the. The, the yellow uh, ape T-shirt that looks so badass or the or mm-hmm. the or the who was it? Roy Rogers T-shirt that he has on like every single one yeah. of those T-shirts. They, they have those on their site. Really super cool. I'm just yeah. saying if anyone wants to go on there and check them out there. And they also sell the bunny slippers on there, too. And uh, and speaking of the bunny slippers that I never noticed until. And I feel like every time I, I watch this movie 50, 60 times now, I felt like I knew everything about it. This is the first time I noticed that bunny slippers only appear at the end of the movie, really. Those like, iconic bunny mm-hmm. slippers. 
he has three or four different kind of slippers in this film that he wears. One of them being Heckle and Jekyll, which I think I'm like, those are badass. The crows. Yeah. I would love some Heckle and Jekyll crow. Yeah. Sandals, uh, slippers. But, but, uh, but I'm like, wait a minute. He, he wears the bunny slippers one time at the end, the famous popcorn scene. That's it. Okay. Well, more accessorizing yep. going on. So I'm just saying, if you want to ever want to look like Chris Knight for, I'm not talking about Halloween. I'm just talking about in general. <laughs> Don't yeah, we all? Yeah. No, in general. I mean, I, I think uh, he definitely has a very distinct look. And, they and you know, and his character is a guy who we're led to learn that he was very much like Gabe Jarrett's character at, at some point when he came in as a freshman. He was very stuffy and he had, you know... Hush puppies. Button up shirts, right, and hush puppies, and his mom dressed him and whatever. And <laughs> yeah. And up until and it's interesting to note, because he says, like, I was that way for my first three years or something like that. Like I was like like you, Mitch, and then I realized like I'm gonna I'm gonna crack. I'm gonna become like Laszlo and I'm gonna crack and I'm gonna be living in the in the steam tunnel. Um but he's dressed like a guy who has that backstory, like a guy who went from like caring what people think or dressing a certain way, smart guy. My mom dressed me this way to being like, no, I'm now going to do the exact opposite. I'm not going to have sleeves. I'm going to cut know, my it's... sideburns off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. It's so You know, terrible. a guy who's really had that 180. Yes. Um, maybe yeah, the summer, and... summer before senior year. It didn't hurt that he's like unbelievably good looking. And has the charisma of, you know, he could sell you a car with no wheels. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Because he is cool. He's cool. Yeah. And like, and in the interview that with, uh, with Gabe, he talked a little bit about the cockiness that Val had coming into this hot off the heels of top secret. And, um, of course he's going to be cocky. He's 25. Yeah. He's yeah. living on top of the world. Everyone said he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know? But he but he has that he doesn't have an arrogance about him through this whole thing. Like he he's each character for me is a character I'd want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Even I, I know and we didn't even bring up we didn't even bring up um Jordan, the you know, the female Michelle lead in this film. Mayrink, Mayrink. Who's also from yeah. Valley Girl and the outsiders and revenge and, of the nerds and revenge of the nerds yeah my mind was yeah. kind of blown i didn't know that for years that she was also in she was one of the mega moves right yeah yeah um, mega moves that's the other thing too it's like come on it's so fucking it's so fucked up right or was it omega moves omega right i think i think it was omega Booger i think it was omega, omega moves okay he call, yeah they 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 have a nickname um but it is lambda 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 and omega and omega move. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing about Revenge of the Nerds, and and I think it's important to keep coming back to that. It is a very much like a us versus them kind of movie, and and real genius is like there's 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 Professor Hathaway who's the bad guy, and Kent with his cronies. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. It's really the focus is like there's the dynamic of the antagonist which every yeah. movie sh- has in some way but it's really the journey of these two characters chris has got to finish out the school year 
he's got this motivation to do his thing, but he's also like, he has a, I don't give a shit attitude, but at the same time he knows he needs to finish school. Right. And then Mitch is just like, I'm trying to survive and not be berated. And then that's that scene when he, you know, has his meltdown and he calls his parents and it's like so relatable. Cause you're like, Oh man, the, yeah. you know, you hope no one else is hearing this conversation <laughs> and then everyone hears it the next day. <laughs> right. At the cafeteria. Yeah. Um, so many great things to talk. I mean, we could talk another hour about this movie just uh, on our love of it, but, uh, for sure. I mean, there's, there's, it's just, it's just one of those, like, it's not even about nostalgia for me, why it holds up. It's just, it's no. just a very well-crafted movie. It's a very smart movie. I know I keep saying that it's real genius. It's about smart kids. It's a smart movie, but it is, <laughs> it is. And from a story perspective, it's, you know, there isn't a there isn't a lot, you know. I think most movies you watch from this time period, you're like, oh well, that wouldn't happen, or why would he be there, or you know. And there isn't a lot of that. You're just like, okay, yeah, this guy lives in the closet. You know, it's it, it's not, um, it's all believable within its world. It's all believable because I mean, I didn't know that they uh, a, a car getting put in a guy's dorm room really did happen at a college in I think Cambridge or something like that in the UK. It's um, all, it's all smart. They use like real smart kid hijinks. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then for the, the big payoff at the end with the popcorn scene, they use like a Rube Goldberg machine, you know, with conveyor belts and whatnot to get all the popcorn to flow out. Right. And, right. And know. so, and we, I guess we should talk more about that. Right. Cause the, uh, the movie's climax is that, um, uh, you know, I, we, we're not really concerned with spoiling the movies here because we assume that if you're listening to this, you are a fan of the movie. Or if you're just fans of our random banter, we appreciate that, too. But I am going to spoil the movie and basically say that, you know, Mitch and Chris do realize that the laser they've just created is for the military. And they 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 are like, no way we're going to sabotage this situation. And they reposition uh, the coordinates of the laser to shoot right at Professor Hathaway's house. Um, which they have filled with the largest popcorn, unpopped popcorn foil ball the world has ever seen. Jiffy um, Pop. Giant Jiffy Pop. Giant Jiffy Pop and, you know, explodes the house out, off out, off its hinges, essentially, um, which is a wonderful, fun way to end a movie. And what you're saying is this was before CGI. They yeah. legitimately had this much popcorn. Tons and tons of popcorn they had to haul into this, into this set, which apparently was going to cost like an upward of one hundred eighty thousand dollars or something like that. But then they got a deal because they were asking for so much. But and I, I guess too, and Gabriel talked a little bit about this in the interview that the factory that made the popcorn burned down. <laughs> Which right. I'm not laughing at that at all. I think it's terrible, but still, you think, "Wow, that's crazy." Yeah, and they right, and it was all like super flammable, and they had to spray it down with fire retardant, and uh, and then also prevent the birds from eating it, and, and and animals were running up and squirrels and makes me wonder because Val Kilmer at one point has his mouth open and he's catching popcorn in his mouth. I'm thinking, right? Oh. So they must have had you know separate I hope. eatable popcorn. I hope that they wasn't did. just fire retardant, uh, you know, car- carcin- carcin- 
carcinogen <laughs> inducing versus like oh. improving you know and he's like i'm just gonna go for it i'm just gonna Screw eat it. it let's eat it that's what chris would do <laughs> right but you know yeah you got to make sure that the slow mo is going and uh you know <laughs> i yeah and, and i i know we're so we're about to get into the soundtrack a little bit but um that that finale is it's so encapsulates for me it's not just 80s but it, it it captures what I love about movies, film, no. the escapism, and this happy ending. I personally like having a movie buttoned up at the end and kind of happy, and and we're gonna go off and have an optimistic attitude on life. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I like having that escapism personally. I don't like having a downbeat ending, like that new George Clooney movie that just came out of Netflix, which was really depressing. Um, not, not familiar. You don't need to be. Um, it's but but you know this idea of like the upliftedness, the, the the hopefulness that all these characters, even Kent, as as big of a douche as he is, is it, they still like have a sweet spot for him at the end. You know right. that he's that they understand that he is being influenced by Hathaway, who's really the true villain of this movie. Like he's the he's the real bully. Kent has bully moments, but he's not the ultimate bully. Well, and when you think about it from the perspective of like this movie ends and Hathaway is not like dragged off to prison or anything like that. But presumably that's what happens at some point. It's got it's such a right, but it's such a conscious choice to just end it with him coming back to this destroyed house and then this dog <laughs> that he's been saying, you know, fuck off, shoo to the, yeah. the whole time comes up and just, you know, takes a leak and like it's just like that sweet like beautiful wrap up that that is that is you know wraps it up in a way that's like very it's kind of benign you know in a way and you get to see Hathaway just be like my house you know as opposed to the reality which is he'd be arrested and you know right there on the spot the cops would show up and yeah they'd they would wrap it up with everybody putting their arms around each other and then fading out after Hathaway was thrown in jail right but maybe this is this is the worst thing that can happen to him, you know, besides going to jail. His house was destroyed. Everything in his house was just was destroyed. Yeah. His relationship with Deborah Foreman was destroyed. Presumably, right? I, but, I'm, but I will say, so I'm assuming that he could hammer a six-inch spike through a board with his penis. Yeah, with his penis. Because that was her qualification. It'd be weird. Her she, standards, Yeah, right? just have that standard, you know, for the teenage boys or the college yeah how dare she just say that when she didn't mean it yeah but i will (laughs) and that scene specifically too just to go back when deborah foreman she's only in it for like two scenes but in that scene i don't know if you noticed she can't like she's mimicking chris knight's movements Mm. in that scene and her eyes on him it's really interesting like things that i didn't pick up on that i normally pick up on She's she's totally mimicking what he's doing, and she's there. Almost feels like a genuine lustfulness she has for him in that scene. What, what do you mean she's mimicking what he's doing? Like he 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 crosses his arms, and right after that, she's watching him, and then she crosses her arms. Mm. Yeah, and like Didn't at, notice right that. right before that, he he has his hands at his sides, and she has her hands at her at her sides, and kind of moves them up the same way he does. Mm. It's almost like a mirroring activity, you know. You do an improv class. Yeah. It was really it's my interesting. Least favorite exercises acting. And exercises. Deborah Foreman up to that point, you know, she'd been in a, a few movies prior. It's not like uh she was new to the, the the scene, so I'm wondering if that was 
it's got to be intentional. Mm. You know, I would have. We'll just have to find out with Martha Coolidge. (laughs) Martha Coolidge also directed uh, another movie I really enjoy called Plain Clothes with Mm -hmm. Arliss Howard. Yeah, you and I have talked about that one quite a few times. Yeah, great cast: Harry Shearer, George Went, Robert Stack, Susie Amos, I think. Uh, But Arliss Howard, who like has never, besides being in I Know My First Name is Steven as a pedophile, oh boy, uh, hadn't had many like lead roles. I think he was in Full Metal Jacket, but great movie worth seeking out. Isn't that kind of crazy that um, Val Kilmer and Gabe Jarrett have birthdays a day apart from each other? Astonishingly crazy. In the same month that we're airing Real Genius? Yeah, it's very... The more I think about it, the more I get, get kind of eerie out by it. It's really cool. They're obviously um, not the same age. I think Val is like 10 years older than Gabe because Gabe was 15 and Val, I think, turned was 25 when this came well, out. Well, right. So you right, you had mentioned that. And it's weird, too, right? So like like worst-case scenario as far as college age or the, or the school was concerned, Yeah. right, Chris Knight would have been like 22, let's say, uh, Mitch was 14, Mitch was 15. So, you know, right there, I mean, seven years is pretty vast, especially at that age. You're talking about a 10-year gap for the actual actors, and it's quite remarkable that they had such presence together. You know, in a way, like when you just think about yourself as a 25-year-old hanging out with a 15-year-old. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously they're both actors, but... You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't well, want to hang yeah. out with 15-year-olds. My, my brother's five years older than me, and I would hang out with his friends, and it, and it felt kind of weird at times, especially when they got older and I was, you know. Yeah. But 10 years, that's like a, that's a big gap. But Chris is playing, or Val's playing such a young guy, you know, young and heart kind of guy and fun guy, so you, maybe on set. Well, I think uh, Gabe did say it was a very challenging set because – yeah. Val sounds like he was a little bit of a Devo, but, um, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, you're a 15 year old kid. You don't know what a movie's supposed to be. And you're no, just first like, time. Yeah. Big deal. You're just, it's, it's, it's tough waters to navigate. I think, you know, probably at any age, your first feature feature film, you know, studio, big studio feature film. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had a point. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, Oh, just the, the the idea that the idea that Chris Knight would want to room with Mitch is an interesting one to me. You know, like like I'm in my senior year and there's a new hotshot freshman. Like that's a very bold move. You know, especially if let's say you had your own room prior to that, or I don't know. This is this is the logistics of of dorm life that I'm talking about right now. Because at a certain point, you know, when you're a senior, it's like you've been through the the shitty sharing a room scenario. You know, you're trying to kind of, you know, you're trying to elevate every year. You're trying to get like, oh, well, now we got a bathroom inside. You know, like there's just different things that you're trying to trying to attain. And it's it's a very, you know, it it, it speaks to the world of this movie, but also like it speaks to Chris Knight as a as a mentor. You know, also, even though he's this carefree guy, like he 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 asked to have Mitch live with him. He did. And you bring up a good point, because at the, at 
tail end of your college career. You want to be doing your own thing. He, there is a sexual component to this movie because obviously he's like hot for the girls in the movie and, you know, the yep. tanning thing and the, uh, and when he's studying in the, one of the montage scenes and he's like biting his hands cause he knows he's got to keep studying, but he sees a hot girl walk by yep. and, and, and it's also done in a very, like, I feel it's done in a very tasteful way, even though let's be honest, Mitch Taylor, there's some, a level of statutory rape going on with, uh, mm-hmm. Mitch Taylor's character and Jordan, but that's the eighties, I guess. Um, right. Cause she's 22 but, and right. I mean, yeah, yeah. But right. yeah, no, you you saying that that he wants the room with uh with Mitch is a good point because it's like, well, yeah, he would want to just be partying. Senioritis. Yeah, but you he's know, got the I'm project. Gonna, he's got I'm the gonna graduate, but like, yeah. So like, if I if I'm the, if I'm his character and I hear this new hotshot fifteen year old kids coming in, I'm not like room him with me because we're gonna I'm gonna like mentor him on this project. It's like no, like he can be off somewhere else. I just think it's very interesting. Um, and it is. Uh, yeah, and the last thing I just want to mention about the movie itself is is this the, the the one thing that has never quite jived for me, let's say, for lack of a better word, is this character of Sherry. You know, yeah. this this older woman played the, by uh Patty um how do you say her name? DeBart DeBarnell? Uh DeBar She's she's French. She's she's Don Johnson's DeBarnville. first wife. The Barnville. Um, <laughs> I'm saying wrong, whatever. Yeah, you know, it, right, right. However you pronounce it, but you know, the, but the point is, is that there's this there's this character of this woman that's connected to the campus, works, you know, on the campus, and for whatever reason has been tracking young Mitch Taylor since he was a young boy, because she wanted to kiss him and sleep with him. And was so happy that he was finally old enough, at 15, mind you, for her to sneak into his room, uh, you know, and take a pass at him. And it's such a confusing thing to me as a viewer for so many levels. I'm like, who is this woman? Why is she no Mitch? Why does she? Why is she attracted to Mitch? You know, she ends up basically marrying or, or getting engaged to, to, to Laszlo. Yeah. Uh, and they run off together in all the prizes that he's won because he's rigged the rigged the trivia sweepstakes. Rito you know, <laughs> right? The sweepstakes, <laughs> which, uh, was, which was a real thing, by the way. Two guys from Caltech did that. Yeah, right. Well, you play the odds. You you, you yeah. figure out how many times you're going to enter, and you you realize I can wow. win this. Percentage. Anyway, sorry, didn't, didn't yeah. want to derail. Keep going. No, it's free to enter a sweepstakes. I'm going to enter this many times and figure out statistically that I'll win thirty point six percent of the prizes. Um. You know, it's genius. But anyway, you know, I just think the thing with um, with this character has just always confused me. Like, you know, yeah. she's used there as a device for Mitch to realize that he actually likes Jordan. But why do, you know, why do we care? What does it do to the story? It's just confusing. And who is she, you know? It, it is an odd character because she has like a, she's got a fetish for smart guys. And right. she's working her way up the ladder. One guy yep. died when she slept. Well, I mean, we're, it's implied that he died after she slept with him. Um, and she's working her way up the ladder, sleeping with all these dudes. It is weird. It is weird. Um, I think it's done in a, in a, in a edited sense that it doesn't take away from the film at all. 
but yeah, I agree with you. It is a weird um, character or plot point uh, that that is not necessary. You know, yeah. I would have like I, I take that out and give me more scenes with uh, Yuji Okamoto from uh, Karate Kid Part Two, Chosen, or yeah. uh, Dean Devlin. You know, producer extraordinaire of uh, Independence Day and Godzilla. Like, give me more <laughs> of that, and the wildlife, and all right, <laughs> and Moon Forty Four. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> um, which is weird. You know that that's that's pretty badass. But, yeah, but no, I, I agree with you. The, the that is an an odd. It does take you out of those scenes, um, because. I don't think you need that. It's clear that that Mitch likes Jordan and Jordan likes Mitch and uh yeah. you know with you want to test my rebreather? <laughs> it floats. How about you? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And I think it's a yeah. Oh that relationship Mitch. is just so it's such an awkward relationship. <laughs> But, but I think that's what I love about it is it's like the awkwardness again feels real but um man all I can think about is that in that scene in that rebreather scene at the tanning invitational is the song by Y&T Summertime Girls <laughs> it's such a kick-ass song yeah or no no actually Brian Adams song Brian um, Adams is playing uh One Night Love Love Affair is playing during the, oh the tanning okay so or the so, second half of the tanning the second when, half of the tanning. when he's yeah the opening uh, is uh, Y&T, Summertime right, Girls. Right, when he's called out by Hathaway, Brian it's, Adams is playing. Yes, yeah. And, I mean, let's cut to the chase. The uh, The soundtrack is, it's the it's the greatest soundtrack that ever was, right? You know, we talked about with Whitewater Summer, we talked about how that's a great soundtrack that never came to fruition. But, but this is the soundtrack, in my opinion, that was never, that should have been released, that was never released. Yeah, from, this from, yeah, I, it's, it's, I, it's great. It's great. It's great. I, the, that that Y&T song, uh, Summertime Girls, Y&T was a great hard rock early metal band in the 80s. Video for Summertime Girls classic, uh, but that's not the, those aren't the songs that really stand out. You know, like it, it's got obviously Tears for Fears, their their biggest hit of all time. Everybody wants to rule the world, which closes out the yep. movie. In my opinion, is the greatest song of the eighties. It is there's, the perfect. There's not a better song. You know, within a within a movie, let's say. Agreed. Um, as far as capturing what's happening, uh, it's an appropriate song in line with the story. Totally. Um, you know, it's obviously it's musically it's a great song. Um, but it's it's one of those songs where you you know, for, for, let's say, true fans of the 80s, you hear that song, you're immediately transported to popcorn exploding out of a house. Yes. You just get that image instantly. And um, That song transports you back to the 80s automatically, too, though. Like, that, that song is a... Oh, for sure. Time capsule song. For sure. 
the best time capsule song of the 80s. It um, is the 80s. But it's, yeah, but it's really it's really used just just perfectly. It's used perfectly. And you 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 leave you know you're talking about how like the movie ends and you feel very positive and uplifted, right? And and we talked about how Hathaway is not arrested and you know it's it's just very you have high hopes for everybody involved and I think one of the reasons is because of that song. Oh yeah, too. That yeah, I yeah. um as a teacher I would always do end of the year kind of slideshow videos for my for the parents, right? <laughs> nice. For the and, parents. Yeah, so and nice. then each parent would get a CD uh of of their kids' highlights. Oh my year. god. No wonder yeah. the parents loved you. You're such a thorough time capsule. Well, it's funny that I'm year. now doing that with birthday posts on Instagram, but so okay, but now, and where would you get like like are we saying that throughout the year you would take photos of the kids? Yeah. So for these specifically for these time capsules. I yeah, I took pictures of every big event, uh but then not not just I'm like, well, you know what? For every big event, the parents were already there. I want to take moments throughout the year that captured who their kid was, right? Wow. And so there would be times when, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in a silly way, you know? I yeah. caught a few kids sometimes picking their noses and I throw it in there and the kids were like, no! Wow. Like, yeah. yeah, but that's the whole point, you know? And then I'd lay, and this is in the early stages of iMovie, I'd lay lay music tracks over it and make like a little movie out of it. Holy moly. So, and I mean, but you had a lot of, you had like 30 kids. Yeah. You made 30 yeah. movies. Oh yeah. So this is actually funny. I, I, I'm a terrible procrastinator and I would put off doing this, uh, burning the discs until like a couple nights before. Yeah. And I remember one night, this when I was single and I was like living alone and had my laptop, I had my laptop next to my bed and you could hear that when a uh, when a disc was done burning, it would spit out, right? So yeah. you hear the sound, like, yep. right? So I'd hear the disc pop out. I'd wake up, put a new disc in. It took like five minutes for each one. Right. And I did this throughout the night. I think the last one I finished it was like 3.30 in the morning. Oh, my God. And just did them, had them done the next day, labeled them all. Oh, my God. Like the last day of school. Had to, they had to be done, you know. And my teaching partner at the time, she's like, no, don't you don't have to do this. We'll right. just make a movie. for." And I'm like, no, I have to do this. What a gift. I mean, what a personal – because even getting a video, right, that they all got. Like even if you've just been like, here's for the class of kindergarten – <laughs> yeah, two thousand, two thousand seven, or whatever it was. Like that alone would have been enough. Much less a personalized high low for each child. How would you even know what to label? That would be. I'm just. This is such a weird logistics question. But like, you know, you're not awake, and you're like, how do you know which one is? I pre-labeled them. You pre-labeled them, and I had them stacked in order. Oh my god! So you know, like uh, like printed labels, like like fancy labels. No, just sharpie. You're sharp, okay? Yeah, because I'm like <laughs> Jen's. I actually moments. think one year I did do printed labels, and that took way too long. Oh man, yeah. And I was like, no, fuck this. <laughs> now you're making discs, and you, I don't have, you know, and everything's that. slower. I, 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 I don't, I don't know what year this was. Did you have like a camera phone? Like, how were you? How were you? This taking is like two thousand. I want to say two thousand six, seven, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I was using, I was using um, a regular camera. And so I would take pictures, and then I'd upload the photos onto my computer. Like a digital camera. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. And so you're uploading the photos into your yeah. into your <laughs> i iPhoto. 
iPhoto, and then you iMovie, it, and then that into iMovie. Right, everything's slower back then. And I viewed of, it all. Of, I viewed it all as, you know, montages from my favorite movies, and 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 would put the music. I queue up the music perfectly. And it always opened up with pure imagination from Willy Wonka, which I so think you, is like. Okay, so you you would use, you. I'm just trying to think about how much work you've actually put into this because it's already <laughs> like it's mind blowing to me. But so you're saying you you would create like somewhat like of a template, of, where yes. the photos would go. Yes. So I had a I had a base of of photos, and then when it got to their kid, like I'd have a base of like photos of all the kids, right? Right. And then, but then I'd insert, I'd insert different, I'd insert that specific kid with a collection of his photos at the end or her photos at the end to close so it you, out. You had like one timeline sequence that you would always kind of interchange. Yes. Okay. It's yes. a lot. Of, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, so, yeah. Obviously, and then iTunes was weird because at one point, then the licensing changed. So I can only use a certain amount of song. I can only use the songs a certain amount of times for each disc. Oh my god! You know, which is so lame. I don't. Oh I don't my it's god. so frustrating. All that stuff. I'm sure you know Peter Hackman could speak more specifically about that. The licensing of music for. I get it. I get it. People deserve to get paid. But if you're doing it as a one-off or a gift at, for a if school, you're doing it like, for a kindergarten. I wish, there was, I wish there was a box you could click. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm not gonna sell this. This isn't you know for uh, profit. Right. Like, I realize this isn't Creative Commons licensing here, but, like, I'm not doing anything with this. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be played, like, twice, you know? And then that's, that's it. It's not going to get sold. But anyways, yeah, I would make these, these compilations. Amazing. It's amazing. And I would lay, I would lay tracks down, and, and the final track, almost always, uh, was Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears because I felt like it was such a happy way to, to just button. It was a nice yeah. button, you know? And, and the music in Real Genius, like, it, it's, I know people always go, oh, that Tears for Fear song is the song. But you and I, when we were talking about well, what song are we going to choose for the for the show? And for those that don't know, we always choose, like, one song specific off the soundtrack to cover. But this yeah. movie really, this movie has more than, has so many great songs. Like, obviously, the Y&T Summertime Girl song is, is, is great. Um Everybody wants to rule the world. Iconic, the Brian Adams song "One Night Love Affair." Every time I hear that song, I see a guy doing a flip onto the slide yeah. or into the pool. You know, with his um, I, I, that yeah. song stands out. That's but then probably my like, favorite Brian Adams song. I, I don't. Not everything ditto. I do, I do for you. Not Summer '69. You know, no. One Night Love Affair. Not, that Danny. Yeah. Danny. It's yeah. got such a great hook. And a, You're and a the cool story. Type. Yeah. It's not just it, he's. It's got Don Henley's on the soundtrack. All she wants to do is dance. Not my favorite Don Henley song. No, no. What's your favorite Don Henley song? Uh, it may it might be Boys of Summer, just because yeah, that, that's mine. That's the that that fucking hook, you know. But it, yeah, and and nostalgia. Yeah, because that was like the song that played. 
Um, and that's had some really bad covers. Really bad covers. Uh, but, yeah, but that aside, yeah, probably yeah. maybe that. But I also I, – I, I will say I really like um, uh, Heart of the Matter. Oh, that is well. a really good song. You know? Yeah. Um, a message about forgiveness. Yep. Trying to get down to the heart of the matter. But, yeah, no, it's you know, a really good song. I think it's about forgiveness. So it, it, it may be that one. Yeah, but not all she wants to do is dance. No, I mean, it's it's kind of a throwaway song, but it's perfect for the scene that it's in. It's perfect for the scene that it's in. Yep. Um, you, you know, some songs that pop up and are very subtle. Um, there's a band called The Call, and they have a, a song in the movie called The Walls Come Down. And the walls come down. So do you know what that band is mostly known for, in my opinion? Um, we've Canadian talked about... Band? What was it? What'd you say? They're a Canadian band, but they're... Oh, they're, yes. Uh, we've talked about The Call before, and I'm trying to remember in what context and how deep we've gone with them. Um, so The Call did a song that got covered, and the cover is more famous than their version. It's it's an iconic 80s movie, and we haven't talked about it. We haven't It's popped about up it. on Soundtrack Saturday. Um, and, and you tried to do a loop of this guy doing it. <laughs> I tried to do Apparently, uh, David Koresh played this song uh, with his band in the compound to bug the to, to send a message to the FBI that they weren't going to come in and take down their really or the ATF. Yeah, it's oh. I still believe. Oh yes, by Timmy of Capello, course. sax man for of for, uh, course for. Tina Turner. Oh, yeah, they did the original course. version, which has a li- much different. It's it's not much different, but instead of saxophone, he's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> so David Crash used that to to piss off the FBI. Yeah, apparently, or the ATF or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He played I that still song. Believe. So in the movie, uh, there's a movie that came out a few years ago, which is actually really good. Um, it's on Netflix. It, yeah, or it was a mini series. Might have been a mini series. Anyways, they start playing that song. <laughs> I look over at Kristen. I'm like, um, th- that's the. I mean, that's this is from Lost Boys, you know. Right. But the band, the, but but the but the band, the Call did the original version of it. So yeah. So they should. They definitely. She was deserve like, "What props. are you talking about? Don't care. Get out of here. Get out so, of my face. I was sleeping. I I like I like <laughs> that the Call is on the soundtrack. Like they're getting. You know, that's the walls come down is a is a kick ass song, but it's really three things. Three things: the Comsat Angels, "I'm Fallen," number one by Chaz Jankel, and the score by Thomas Newman. And the reason I bring all three of those up at the same time is because all three are used in the montage scenes throughout this movie. There's three major montages, and they're they're beautiful montages where they're not rehashing throwing away scenes that have already been used earlier in the movie it's fresh new scenes that mm-hmm. are kind of moving the storyline along yeah very conscious pace the montages are are so relevant you know to 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 what's going on in the story and the music those three songs to me are just 
just flawless. Like I'm falling. It's like such a din 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 din, and the number one din 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 din, and then the Thomas Newman ding 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 ding. You know, I'm it's like language you know. through you know little quarter beats, quarter <laughs> notes. And then that I'm one. telling you, that right there, put that on a mix. I'm good. That's that's my that's my that's my desert island. Yeah. What what do you think about the names of these bands? Like what terrible? What is a what is a Comsat Angel? So what's Comsat? What's Comsat? Apparently, when I was typing in Comsat on my phone, it kept coming up Comsat all capital letters. Like your cable provider, Comsat satellites. That's what it sounds right. Communication satellites. That's what it sounds like a. An abbreviation, oh. two words. Yeah, but but because a Comsat Angel is not a is not a thing. It's a, you know they've clearly created a word Comsat. No, but but I mean this is a band that's been around since 1978. Yeah. Um, from, I just think it's I think it's a tough name, you know, for a band. It's a I terrible it's, name. It doesn't. They've had probably less success because of that name, as far as I'm concerned. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, and I think Chaz Jankel is, is sounds like something that you get um, a growth on your body. Right, or your cankles are a little weird, and I got a case of the Chaz Jankel cankle. No offense. No offense, Chaz. Like, sincerely. Cause, cause, yeah, cause, no offense that we're, you know, banging on, banging on your name. We're banging on your name. We're banging we're, on your name. That we're, uh, you know, making fun of your name. Not in a, I'm just saying it's just, it's just even from a phonetic perspective, Chaz Jank. It's, it's it's two long A's. It feels Chaz. weird to say. Yeah, Chaz Jankle. Chaz Jank Jankle. Chaz Jankle. And 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 if he had a different name, do you think the song would be more popular? Uh, no, no. I think number no? one is just one of those songs that, um, okay. you know. To me, falling resonates a little better. Um, yeah, but yeah, but number one, like that, just gank gank. As, as you were doing, I'm gonna do it now. Gank 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 gank. Number one is a hard line in the making. In the making. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that he would, that he would necessarily have more success, but Comsat Angels for sure. <laughs> Falling, fall. I mean, th- th- that's when we're like, Mitch is watching Laszlo Hollyfeld in his mirror, coming into his yep. room, and he's spying on him, and you get Mitch with his big shit in and grin on his face, like yep. oh, I'm watching him. That yep. gets me every time, you know. I began to slip, and then Kent's honking the horn. You know, he's dropping his. But I mean, I, it, Mitch could not drop his books more. <laughs> like that—that that is one thing that I noticed this time. I was like, this yeah. guy can't hold on to his books. In every montage, he's just dropping his books, or you know, 
he he drops his papers. He just oh, I see Holyfield. I got to follow him. You know, it's like, dude, get yourself. I think Aaron said this. She's like, why doesn't he have a backpack? Or everybody a bag? had a backpack. You know, and except for Mitch, Mitch has like ninety five books just like in one stack that he's like clutching to his hands as he walks four miles around campus. You're like, come on, man. You're like four feet tall. You're fifteen. You don't have you know like. Why are you trying to be a hero, Mitch? You're 12 years old, right? I'm yep. 15. Does your body know that? Yep. That's brilliant. <laughs> and they cut um, that from the fucking movie. How dare they? And and to be clear, that character the, the who asked if he's 12, that's Bodie, who's friends with Kent. You did not name your son after that character, right? <laughs> you want... Yeah, you... you no. <laughs> okay, because I, I had that realization, him. too. I'm like, that's the guy. That's why. I did not name him... After Bodhi in Real Genius, nor did I name him after Bodhi in Point Break. Um, right. Well, Point Break, no. We know we know that. <laughs> and certainly we know that now. Because, but Point Break wasn't in the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand. Right. And, then this, but, and that but is not genius, one of my favorite movies of all but time. But Real Genius, right. One of your favorite movies of all time, you know, like if you're like, it, it, that would be, a, that would be a, a very impressive way to name your son based on a on a you know, a uh, secondary character who, you know, no one in the world would remember except for, like, hardcore fans of the movie. And then you could also, it's like, so it's like a tribute to Real Genius, but also, you know, a great name. I'm, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you at any point think about that? Like, before naming him? Were you like, were you like all the, you run down all the Bodies and you're like, Kent, Chris Knight, Bodie... No, and honestly, yeah. it wasn't until after Bodhi was born and I watched Real Genius again. Okay. And made the connection, and I'm like, oh, shit. Because, you know, Bodhi, we, we named Bodhi after the Bodhi tree. Okay, so just to, just to wrap up the, the soundtrack talk. Um, again, I asked Martha Coolidge, like, what happened to the soundtrack, you know? Yeah, and she and she said she's like, yeah. So you have like this wait, just so, so I'm clear. You have this weird like Instagram relationship with Martha Coolidge. Well, she she's she's really good with um, answering questions on her Instagram and Twitter from fans, and obviously okay. I'm a fan. And I Got reached it. out to her on Twitter actually, and I said, you know, great, this soundtrack should definitely be, uh, or maybe I tagged her or something. I, I don't remember okay. the exact thing, but but anyway, she's like, yeah, that soundtrack should be available at least on a vinyl release of Thomas Newman's score. And if you guys yeah. don't know who Thomas Newman is, he's for me, he's the composer of Shawshank Redemption. Um, not Randy Newman, to be clear. Not Randy Newman. Who's had some surprising You got offended me. Yeah. In real genius, uh, Mitch and Chris going on a journey, going to find a laser you see. <laughs> Going to make sure there's popcorn to eat because you got offended me. Wow. That was something special right there. Some other folks think they're smarter than I am. <laughs> like Leslo Hollyfield, too. Sorry. Yeah, please keep going. Please keep going. But none of over. them would ever love you the way I do. Do you think uh, if gravity reverts itself, Wait a minute. Nudity. Yeah. You got a friend in me. <laughs> Not no, that Thomas Newman. Newman. Thomas wow. Newman. Woo. Thomas Newman. One of his first ever soundtracks he did. But, dude, I love me some, some guitar and drum 
in this in that synth and synth and we you know we love synth yeah um it's it's just beautiful so this soundtrack is definitely it's the whole soundtrack the whole soundtrack we're covering there's yeah. top to bottom it's like what are we um, just going to talk about the compset angels and that's it no <laughs> no we're going to talk no. about chaz all the whole time yeah um but you know I know we always, so for, for those of you that don't know, we always wrap up our episodes talking about a few fun facts that happened in the year yep. that the movie came out. And I'm just going to run a few down. Um, you know, obviously, if Dustin has anything to say about them, he will. If not, he'll just remain silent and I'll move, <laughs> move on. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's like I'd like to start the new year with something positive as opposed to you being like, in 1985, everybody got AIDS and died. Like, I don't want to hear. <laughs> no, I, that. I've got it. <laughs> you know, something exploded or there was a, uh, you know, Chernobyl. You know, I just want to I just want to start off with a little a little positivity, a little lightness. I'm going to start um, off. Not only am I going to start off with something positive, I'm going to start off with something relatable okay. and relevant. That's the, you're speaking my language. Okay. All so in ours. 1985, I'm going to let you guess on this one. Okay. A company was founded in 1985. Okay. okay. It's no longer around anymore. Okay. It's not Apple. Okay. For our show, it is very relevant. What company was it? Uh, it was. Casio. No. No, Casio's still around. It was... Um, we have a strong connection. You have a strong connection to this business. Very popular franchise. Well, you could you could make it... What kind of night are you going to make it? A Maxwell House night? <laughs> make it a make, a... make it a blockbuster night. Make it a blockbuster <laughs> night. Of course. Blockbuster was founded in 1985. That's interesting, and very yeah, yeah and very appropriate. <laughs> See, well done. And then fourteen people were killed in a small. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm a kidding. Small blockbuster explosion. <laughs> um, no, so it, so that was that was relevant. Right? That's relevant. That was great. That was great. We can okay. just end there. I don't. Well, I, so <laughs> well, I was going to say, and this is actually very interesting um, because you know. Timely in the sense that we we talk about, you know, are, do we need a regulation on everyone wearing masks, right? Because we need more people to wear masks. Yeah, we um, do. Like there was a time when people didn't wear seatbelts. Mm-hmm. And in 1985, New York became the first state to require that all front seat auto occupants wear seatbelts or face a $50 fine. That is interesting. In 1985. That is interesting because I know for a fact that that was exactly like the anti mat Like people were like, well, I'm not going to wear this fucking belt. Yeah. Fuck it was you. the exact, almost, yeah. almost yeah. the same. Except, you know, there was a, a pandemic now. So it's a little, you know, it's a little different. Um, yeah. It's, it's different, but, but, but in yeah, the sense that yeah, there was an it, uproar. You're totally, yeah, absolutely. Violating my rights. Yep. And look at where we are now. Yep. Click it or ticket. Um, right. Although nobody's finding anybody for not wearing a mask. Yet. No, yet. I think that could probably help. Things. I think it's just so. endless, endless to enforce. Um, 
and 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 I'll I'll just give you one more. I'll give you one more. We'll just do three today. Perfect. Okay. okay. Great. Um, in 1985, the song "New York, New York" officially became the Big Apple's anthem. These are all really good. I like. Yeah. I approve of all of these. I love hey, them. Second season, I got to up my game. That's really great. Yeah, and I like the interactiveness of it. You, you had me guessing, so it was really, it was it was good. Um, I do honestly think we're at some point we're going to have to do a special episode, um, tales from the video store. Yeah, maybe maybe a maybe a sub episode. I know a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of podcasts do a sub episode. Um, and, and it might be kind of cool this season to do a sub episode of tales from the video store. And, and like, what's your vision of it? What do you, what do you see? Lay it out um, for me. Maybe the, maybe there are 30 minute episodes where we each tell a story, a funny, interesting story from our time working at a video store. I like it. I like it. A lot of mine have nothing to do with video store. It's just like where it happened, you know? Well, Plus, yeah. Like how, yeah. Wonder Woman didn't need to be set in 1984. Like. You know, I just happen to be in a video store, working at a video store when this goes down. Well, so, you know, anyway, anyway, you know. <laughs> I have a feeling a nice idea. yours is going to be way better than Wonder Woman 1984. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So look for that in the future. I'm going to write but, a screenplay. That's right. <laughs> but um, but th- I, I know it's kind of appropriate, too, that this episode went a little longer than normal because typically we do about 45 to an hour, but this mm-hmm. one... It went a little longer on purpose, intentionally, because this is like we said at the top of the show, one of our favorite movies of all time. Um, You know, my favorite 80s movie of all time, for sure. And I'm just happy that we could kind of toe dip on some of our fun facts about this movie. And, and, And leading in to our interview with Gabriel Jarrett, which will be coming out in two weeks. Um, stay tuned for that. Yeah. And we asked him, I think, right. Like, do you like Gabe or Gabriel? And I'm trying to remember, like, he was like, I'm cool with both. He's cool with both. But I think he said, but I go by Gabriel for, for, for professional purposes purposes or yeah. So he's Gabriel to the, to, to everybody that knows him in the world. But he's Gabe to his buddies like us. Yes. Like us now because we're neighbors. Gabriel Jarrett. Um, but, but yeah, he, he actually, we intentionally left out a few things about real genius because we talk to Gabe about that in our. Oh, interview. yeah. You want to hear from the swords. You want to hear from two, us two idiots. Just two schmoes. Like, yeah. And, and for the, for you Cobra Kai fans, he does talk a little bit about uh, Karate Kid. Uh, he does Part three. Talk, Karate Kids Part Three, <laughs> and and you know we talk a little bit All about Cobra Kai, yeah, and uh, yeah, and some other fun stuff. But we'll we'll save that for later. Yeah. But but this one, oh my gosh! I mean, I'm just so happy that we're in our second season. Um, this 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 year is going to be. I'm very optimistic, hopeful, and joyful for the future of two dollar late fee in 2021. Uh, lots more joy and upliftedness to come as we kick, 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 start your heart. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I think it's very well said. I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah, to flipping the script a little bit, seeing what, seeing what, what, what creative juices, you know, flow out of the, of the juicy fruit. I, I'm getting, it's gonna, I'm grossing myself out as I'm talking, which is why I'm. 
Juicy Fruit was a well, it, it connects with the eighties because that was going to move you. <laughs> it's Juice is soft. Gets weird. Right to, weird. Doesn't campaign. it get right to you? Gets right to you. Yeah, it goes right through you. I don't... Juicy fruit is gonna move ya. It juices soft. It gets right to ya. Juicy fruit, the taste, the taste, the taste is gonna move ya. Um, um Mark, Mark Harmon's. No, that was Tic Tac. Mark Harmon's sister was the spokesperson for Tic Tac. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, and then she dated my mom's friend in Michigan. That's equally weird. Fun fact. Yeah. And is Anyways, that why you know this weird thing about her being a Tic Tac spokeswoman? Yes. Because she dated. And also I watched a shit ton of television back yeah. in the day. Yeah. So I just remember seeing those commercials pop up where she would show the Tic Tac. And I was a sucker for marketing. I still am. So, Hey, this is, this is a total fucking digression that I'm about to say right now. But did you watch Doogie Howser? Yes. Growing up? Yes. So Aaron had never seen Doogie Howser. And... We watched an episode where, from season one, where Doogie, uh, you know, and Wanda, Wanda's cousin Yvette, is coming into town, and there's a blind date set up for Vinny, and it turns out that Yvette is slightly overweight, even though she's not really that overweight. And this episode could not have been more offensive. And something you just said to me, like, where you're like, I just love, just now, maybe think of it, because you're like, I love, I love TV, I watch a shitload of TV, and like, I did too, and I, and I remember loving and watching Doogie, but, the, but then I watched this episode, and like, Doogie, Doogie at one point, like, pulls Wanda aside, and he's like, he's like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, tell you what, that your cousin is a planet. Oh like, my God. Oh my. Doogie what? said that? Doogie said that. The smart kind of Doogie. Yeah. And, you know, Doogie learns a lesson, too, and that's part of, you know, what leads him to his diary about, you know, people and whatever. But um, yeah. but every interaction that this poor girl has with everybody is just the most offensive, like, hey, Fatty McFatty, did you break two toilet seats? It's just, like, oh the my craziest God. thing. And so, you know, we revisit a lot of things nostalgically, and I was, like, really excited to watch Doogie. And I was, like, horrified by the end of this. I was like, what's the lesson here? Because Doogie basically says, hey, Yvette, you know, I can hook you up with, like, a nutritionist or, like, a, get you on a plan. And she's like, great, Doogie. That's the lesson. The lesson is, like, Doogie you know, don't be fat. Weight. Yeah. yeah. Don't be fat. Anyway. I, well, what, what year was that? 88, I want to say? 87? It was 90. Is 90s? No, no. 89. I want to say, I'm going to say 89. 89, 89. feels pretty good, dude. Because like, Wonder Years was 89. Um, it feels like it was around Wonder Years. It was 89. Right? Yep. Okay. Well done. Yeah. I mean, September fat shaming 89. was, was, fat shaming was, uh, was, was all was, the rage. Yeah, it was. And, you know, yep. that was, yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. And I figured it would have been Vinny to be the one, but Vinny turns out not. So no, much. Vinny. Vinny's like dating her, and he's like he loves. You know, he's he's really into her, and then he bonds with her about being short. You know, he's like I'm short, and then he's self deprecating about his shortness, and she's self. You know, but but it's the same thing too that we're talking about. Like where she's she's so self deprecating about herself, and then he's like, "Why are you talking about yourself like that?" She's like, "Well, I'm just beating guys to the punch. I'm just beating everybody to the punch," and she's right because everybody she encounters in the show is a fucking asshole to her. Um, yeah. and uh, my mouth was just the entire episode. I'm like, wow. what? 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 Yeah, I'm not a fan of cancel culture per se, but I am a fan of recognizing, identifying, and discussing things that 
are not okay now. Yeah. You know, Mitch, Mitch was 15 and allegedly possibly has sex with a college girl who's, I would assume yeah. older than him, yeah. you know, and makes out with an, a woman in her thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, but, yeah. but we're not sitting here going, Oh, feel like yeah. the two guys on the Muppets. You know, well, it was good, but you know what else is good? Dying. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> There's been in a yeah. whole Muppet kick for the past like, two weeks. So, um, no, that's totally understandable. We're not going to cancel any of this stuff. We'll, we'll talk about it. And yeah. the movies we talk about throughout the course of this year, at least in, in yeah. the future, you know, things come up, we'll, we'll, we'll address it. Um, but am I going to watch more Doogie? No, I'm not going to rewatch all of, all of the season, you know? Because you're just not yeah, after that you're like not feeling it. I was yeah, I, I wasn't really an enjoyable watch. I was just kind of like, all right, well that was something I enjoyed back then. And but you know um, what you still enjoy is your murder. She wrote. You love your murder. So still, still watch a lot of murder. She wrote. You love your CBS TV from the eighties. I mean, yeah, Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> but I I do watch with the understanding that Jessica Fletcher is the most JB Fletcher. The most nosiest, <laughs> intrusive, yes. annoying lady. I talk about her all the time. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's no, because I love I love when you do that because you 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 don't sugarcoat it. You're like, she's annoying as fuck, but she gets the job done. <laughs> well, because you know, if you, you know, we're right, putting aside the fact for a minute that everywhere you go, someone is murdered, right? <laughs> Which is pretty crazy in and of itself. But if you are the kind of person who, you know, is is so nosy where you're just like walking up and you're confronting killers because you've figured it out. But, you know, you 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 confront them in a room like by yourself, then, you know, at a certain point, you're like, this is not the tactful way to do it. Um, You know, she'll always just be like, well, I know Mr. Anderson because I was outside and she wasn't answering the phone that day because she was at, you know, the mall. And and then he's like, "Okay, very good, Jessica. You figured it out. Now I will kill you. You know, and it's just like, um, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, you you haven't learned. You don't need to, like, you know, corner them in a public place or something. Have the reveal. So it's it's always it's always very awkward. If this if this was made now and they did like they do the M Night Shyamalan twist where she was actually the one who committed uh-huh. all the murders, and these yep. characters were characters she wrote in her novels, maybe she was a novelist and she wrote you know, yeah it's like, I mean I encourage you to to check her out sometimes too just because you do see the the guest stars are like you know all these people that we talk about on our episodes it, it's it's yeah. it's the Miami Vice of of uh, of old people. <laughs> It's the Miami yeah, like, Vice of like old people. It's the Miami Vice of old people, and Twenty One Jump Street is the Miami Vice of young people. Yes, for that time, no doubt. And the Miami Vice is just the middle, the middle aged. Miami yeah. Vice is just the Miami Vice. Yeah, we might have to devote an entire episode <laughs> of talking about Miami Vice. Yeah, uh, that I, I will say a holy grail guest for me would be Don Johnson. That that would be because maybe even maybe even Philip Michael Thomas. Shit. Yeah, I mean, come on, he's iconic. Talk about uh, yeah. his music career too. So. Totally, Don Johnson <laughs> or Phil Michael. I mean, both. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but 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 to wrap up, guys, because I know a lot of people don't listen to the the outro, uh, but it's worth listening to because it's really funny. Um, 
if if uh, you know if that you always sells it when you when you amp up your own funniness. I think it's funny. Like you're the one that cut it, and I'm the one that made the mistakes. So there you go. Um, you know, it's like you guys are gonna want to stick around for this. It's really funny. It's got like, so many bleeps yeah. and bloops. I think it's so great. many. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's but bloopy. if you haven't subscribed to Spotify, that would be great if you could. And iTunes, if you could, that would be great. You know, the, here's the thing, like writing a review, giving us five stars, it actually goes a long way. It gets us traction. It gets us more more views, more listens, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've already done all that, and I know a lot of you have, and I know a lot of the feedback has been so positive, uh, especially on our Instagram because we've kind of dumped Facebook because it's just a, it's a void of nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. You know, your interactions with us is great. Like, it actually inspires us to do other kind of episodes because, oh, th- this movie got brought up and it rem- it reminded us of this. Um, so thank you for being great listeners, totally. loyal listeners, all that good stuff. And Happy New Year to all of you. We hope um, we hope you're happy, safe, healthy, all that good stuff. And just know that, um, you know what? Like Dusty Rhodes said, we're putting our hand out to you. And we can feel your hand touching us right back. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And I think that's really well needed. I, I would just piggyback, say, stay safe out there. Be kind to yourselves. And, um, you know, be gentle. We're going to get through this together. You, me, and Chris Knight. <laughs> and as always, we'll catch you on the flip side. Sweet. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.